Hi, and welcome to the Get Known Podcast. I'm Steve Lee. For those of you who are new to Get Known, we interview journalists about their work and what they cover so companies know better how to engage with the press and get their company covered in the media. Our big goal is to make sure that companies out there who are reaching out to the press build the right kinds of relationships, pitch the right ideas, and understand better what wastes journalists' time and what wastes their time. In this episode, we had the pleasure of talking with Erica Benke from the BBC. Yes, we got the BBC. She shared experiences about the stories she's covered from basic income and climate change to winter cycling and clean water usage technology. In our conversation, she offers all kinds of tips about talking to journalists and how to get your story just right, along with providing an inside look at her own pitching of stories to editors and how that process works within the BBC. I learned so much from Erica in this interview. I hope you do too. So get outside, start doing your workout, go for a long walk so nobody bothers you, and enjoy this interview with Erica Benke. I'm so happy to have Erica Benke, um, who's worked with the BBC in London for the last 24 years. She's been creating TV, radio, and online media for all that time. And she has been covering subjects, everything from the far right and climate change to winter bicycle riding. She came to Finland in 2017 for her first assignment, and she's currently working out of Oulu, Finland. Erica, welcome to the Get Known podcast. Thank you very much, and it's good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, we are so excited and happy to have you. Um, could you tell us a little bit about, first of all, how you started out in your in your uh, journalism career? Oh wow, that was a long time ago. Um, so I I'm I'm Hungarian. I was born in Hungary and went to university in Hungary. And when I finished university, that was the time when the Berlin Wall came down. So all of a sudden, there was a lot of uh, media freedom in place in Hungary, which was not there before. And I had just finished university and I was learning languages, um, English and Russian. And my English was really good. And I was hired by a newspaper that just started out in the region. It was called Central European Business Weekly. So it was an English language paper covering business in Poland, the Czech Republic, and Hungary. In fact, in Hungary, I was the only person <laughs> working for that paper. And I really fell in love with journalism. You know, my boss was a wonderful um, Scottish journalist who really took me under his wings and, and um uh, got me into journalism, really. He was my mentor, and I'm, I'm really grateful to him. His name is Ian Brody. And um, after um, about a year with Ian's paper, I saw an advertisement in, in a Hungarian paper. The BBC World Service was recruiting journalists. Because the BBC uh, World Service has language services. I think we had about 45, 50 languages at the time when I joined including a Hungarian service. So they were looking for Hungarian native speakers to broadcast news and current affairs programs from London. So I applied for that and I got the job and moved to London with a one-year-old baby. <laughs> and Wow. Yeah, my, my family was pretty horrified. You know, the, both sets of grandparents were pretty horrified that we are moving to, to, to London with um, a one-year-old and um, mind you it was obviously a very good move for her <laughs> she's she uh, she's uh, I think um, her career options and education options and choices were very very different um, in London than they would have been in Budapest but anyway uh, so I, I moved to London and after about a year you know the BBC is big it's huge, and that's one of the good it things. It is. Um, so it's really uh, that there are lots of 
lots of sort of, we call them attachments. So you can apply for jobs within another part of the BBC. And sometimes it's just for a few months. Sometimes it turns into a permanent change. So because I had been working for an English language paper, of course, I wanted to have experience um, in the English newsroom, not just the Hungarian one. So I managed to get into the English newsroom quite, quite soon. And I, you know, I never looked back. I, I um, moved from the radio newsroom to the television newsroom. And as you said, I, I did quite a bit of online and social media work as well. It's, um, the BBC actually supports that. So it's, it's really nice. They want all of us journalists to be equally proficient across all the platforms because that's obviously good for the BBC. Um, a lot of people don't like that. You know, most, many of my colleagues just, just like to be in their comfort zones and just do either radio or TV or, you know, or online. But I was very happy to, to move around and, and try a bit of everything. <laughs> and It sounds amazing. I was wondering, like, what then brought you to Finland as a part mm. of that? So I came to Finland um, in 2017, as you said, because I saw the story about the Finnish government's basic income experiment. So Finland had a two-year experiment with basic income in which 2,000 unemployed Finns were randomly selected to receive a guaranteed payment of um, about $560 a month, every month for a period of two years with no strings attached. So um, that was a really amazing experiment. I thought that the whole world needs to know about it because um, remember with me working for the BBC, my audience is the whole world. So um, we have a global audience, but I thought I was such a universal story and people, you know, from Chile to Hong Kong would be interested on in hearing how it goes. So I pitched the idea to my bosses. I said, I'll find four people in Finland who are on this scheme and I want to follow their lives in for, for two years and see if basic income makes any difference to their lives. Um, so I came to Finland every six months to interview these four people who were all over the place. Two of them were in Helsinki. One of them was in um, Oulu here in the north of Finland, where I am right now. And one of them, uh, the fourth one was um, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the country, which was a very remote location. So that, that was really interesting. So when you came, you know, when you come to Finland regularly, every six months, you and you go back to the same places, you develop contacts. Like in this very remote location in the middle of Finland, when the BBC turns up, you know, the local mayor wants to see you. And the local mayor and I became friends. She, she's a lovely lady and we have a lot in common. And she said, hey, um, you know, there's this other story here. And I thought, hmm. So I, I, I ended up going back to London to the newsroom every time I came to interview my basic income people and said, oh, you know, I heard about this other story as well, which I think is quite fascinating. And, you know, these Finnish people, you know, they're kind of changing the world without the world knowing about it. They are making the world a better place. Um, they, there are amazing stories related to climate change and like water sustainability and, uh, you know, like, well, the economy, like basic income is, is, um, uh, obviously a massive um, economic story. And um, I just ended up coming back and I realized how much I love being in Finland. It's an amazing place. Um, and I had been living, you know, in London for about 20 years at that point. And I was getting a bit fed up with, um, you know, public transport in London is not working fantastically well. There's 9 million <laughs> people living in London. Um, so the contrast between rural Finland and yeah. London was so big and I was just feeling so happy. And um, the BBC has um, a scheme whereby you can take a year or maximum two years off. Uh, we call it a career break. 
So you can basically leave and come back in a year or two years and your job is guaranteed. And I always, always wanted to take advantage of that. And then I thought, here I am, my kids are growing up. Um, I really want to take this uh, opportunity to, to take a year off my BBC career and do something else. And I'm so happy in Finland. So I decided to, to do that. So I took my career break um, and um, came to Finland. In, in, I'm in the northern town of Oulu, just um, below the Arctic Circle. It's far north. It's probably the northernmost big city in, in uh, Scandinavia. And um, yeah, so I came in the summer of 2020, right in the middle of the corona epidemic. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah, well, it was and it wasn't. Like, you know, I wanted to learn Finnish. That was one of my big goals. And I thought you wanted year, to learn Finnish. Not everybody can know. say that. Well, I, I really did. And um, I thought within a year I would be fluent because I'm, I'm very good with languages. So I thought, hmm, you know, I'll just pick it up by getting immersed in it. But of course, with Corona, social yeah. interaction was quite a bit limited and um, it didn't quite work out that way. I, I do, I do speak some Finnish, but um, I wouldn't call it fluent. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, I, I have a question. Like you say that you keep going back to your editors and you kept on pitching stories. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's probably really interesting to the audience is like, what does it take to actually pitch a story? Because a lot of times we work with companies and people who just don't have a clue that mm -hmm. they think the journalist kind of makes the decision on their own about what stories to cover. With such a big organization like the BBC, do you think that the pitching process is actually a little bit different for you? Or do yeah. you think it's the same? In well, most other I, I, well, you know, I don't publishers. really do any any other place but the BBC. That was sure. my job, like most of my adult life. But um, it is that you know sometimes there are like formal invitations. Like uh, we would all get a start an all staff email that there's like some massive new initiative, and please send your pitches to this and that person. But most of the time, it's very very informal. So you just go up to your boss, like um, in my case. Well, it's, it's, it's a bit complicated because the BBC likes to cover each story for each platform. So I have a radio boss, normally a TV boss, a social media and an online boss. So, so you, uh, you approach one of these bosses hoping to get their attention and hoping that they will be interested. And then, then it's probably a lot easier to 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 persuade all the other people just to pitch in so like the other three platforms to pitch in and and help finance your story so basically um i normally go to either i normally went to either my my um radio boss or the social media boss simply because i like those people I was going to say, is there something different? Is there something different about about pitching to to the social media versus the TV? Like, I mean, yeah, do you have to yeah. have some sort of visual in mind or something when you're talking yeah, to them? Yeah, definitely. About when you go to TV, you have to have some visuals, some some idea of what the visuals will be like. When you, well, my radio boss, um, he never has any time, so you always have to get straight to the point, like. Top line, what is going to be the top line of your story? And if you get his attention, if he kind of, if you capture his imagination by your top line, then that's it. You've sold the story. You're on your way to Finland. <laughs> so, uh, and, and like, if you could, like, when you were pitching the, the story about um, basic income, how did that go? Like, I mean, just in general, what was the thing do you think that pushed it over the edge for you? Well, I think, um, well, there, there were two things. One is, one was that um, in Scotland, they were, the Scottish government was commissioning a feasibility study at the same time when the Finnish experiment started. So when uh, when I first pitched the story, I was working for a domestic television program. 
So a domestic facing UK um, TV current affairs program. So I said, hey, the Scottish government is looking at this. Wouldn't it make sense if we went to Finland, had a look at how it worked there? Maybe there, there would be some lessons to be learned for, for, for the Scots. Right. So I think they really like that. And then, of course, the other thing was that I said, I'm not going to talk about economics in a, like in a sort of very serious, you know, I, I don't want to know the details of how it works, like um, how um, the state finances will be affected by it or how the insurance you know, like the national insurance system of Finland, the benefit system. I, I, I don't, I don't want to get bogged down with all the kind of bureaucratic details. I just want to see how it affects an ordinary person's life. So somebody who was long-term unemployed, all of a sudden gets this little cash injection in their lives and they don't have to fill in any forms. They don't have to go to the job center every month to to prove that they are actually looking for a job do you just get you know a bag of money so what happens so i wanted to look at the human interest side of the story and right. i and and i managed so i they said go ahead and do your research and i did my research and i went back and said okay i have two men two women um they're very very different characters live in different parts of the country totally different sort of life scenarios and they love that 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 i have um you know all these a cast of people with with totally different stories one of them is a family man with six children the other one is a young woman a very intelligent university educated woman who somehow can't get a job and you it happens you know you can be fantastically well educated and 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 you still haven't got a job it could happen to all of us and then the third person was again a young woman who was 30 years old when i first met her and she never ever had a job in her life even though she also had a degree and she was really desperate and she said oh i have to go to my mom to get food it's so embarrassing and i want to work so that you have these stories and I only had to give the top line of each person to my bosses and they, they love the idea. You know, first of all, it sounds like you had to have some sort of relevancy mm-hmm. towards, towards the audience, you know, and then the second is that you have to have that element of humanity. And very often when we're talking about a lot of the things that we talk about in tech, for example, we don't have that human element mm-hmm. and it makes it very hard. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, I, I I always think that when I go to a boss to explain what the story is, so I try to sit down and kind of imagine my grandma, you know, like if she was also sitting at this table, you know, what, you know, try to explain the story in simple terms. That's kind of um, that would be easy to understand by an eighty-year-old. Um, and just, or maybe think about your, you know, best friend who lives somewhere else, like in India, somewhere really far away and has no idea what, you know, like where Finland is or what basic income is. And just, just be really straightforward and, and just very, very simple. You have to somehow break down your story in these little kind of nuggets and and then then and just just you know get this human element make the story a human interest story and explain how and why it affects the lives of every person on the planet i mean that's what people want to listen to right Mm. that's that's what that's what that's what draws them in that's what makes them feel you want that emotion even mm-hmm. if it's something nerdy and techy, you want yeah. that emotion that's attached to it. Yeah. You want to hear the story and you want to hear why and how it is relevant in your life. I think if you can um, show that this person, this this lovely young woman who is sp- speaks perfect English and, and has two degrees and still can't get a job, you know, we can all relate to that. 
if you can make that clear, I think you're on to a winner. Yeah. You know, you've been covering a lot of things in, involving the climate. Um, mm -hmm. and, and of course, that gets covered a whole lot. I mean, there seems to be stories all the time about climate. How do you differentiate and pitch a story on something that is has so much coverage today that we hear about all the time and people become kind of jaded about the whole thing. Uh, we don't want to, cause I, I want to explain a little bit because, you know, we very often get shocked mm -hmm. by everything, but we don't want to go around shocking people all the mm -hmm. time. Right. And the BBC is really trying to stick to some higher journalistic standards where they're not trying to shock mm -hmm. you all the time. So what is the answer that the BBC has for covering a topic that seems to be covered quite a bit like climate change? Well, you know, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, uh, when, um, you know, before Corona arrived, of course, climate change was the biggest story for several years, at least at least two or three years before Corona came, we were already getting really worried, and uh, that there was an absolutely massive amount of coverage on climate change, and it, it just got to the point where we, you know, we kind of we were talking at editorial meetings that oh, this new report came out, and isn't that horrible? And the, the, the figures are really shocking, but then how do you cover it? Because in a way, Corona was very, very similar. When there's this fatigue, Corona fatigue or climate change fatigue, people, people just, you know, don't want to hear more bad news, but we still have to cover it because it's just so important. The way I go about it, again, I try to find some human stories through which we can put climate change into context. And I also... I'm I'm really attracted to finding positive stories, you know, in all the negativity. Just for instance, I found a family in Lapland, in Finland, like the mm -hmm. northernmost part of Lapland, mm -hmm. who live a completely self-sufficient life. So they don't go to the supermarket to buy anything. They have their lake, they have their little forest. So they fish, they pick berries and mushrooms, they have chickens, so they have eggs, they have a few, they had a cow, they have some sheep, they have a little patch of land where they grow potatoes in the northernmost part of Lapland. So, and they are, this, this was their choice. So they have four children. So and this was that this is their way of fighting climate change, and they're very articulate about it. They say we move to the forest. Of course, not everybody can do that. And I don't want to say and he. So this family, they are not saying okay, everybody should follow our example, and that's the way to change the world. You know, this is how we are saving the world from climate change. No, they just said look, this is one example, and if everybody just does something, maybe not this drastic or dramatic if everybody just really just switches off the lights when you leave the room if you if you make tiny little changes they all add up and that that can lead somewhere that i mean that's a super interesting story just in mm. your time i mean that's so original right like i guess what you're looking for is the situation in which a person or 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 a story is something people haven't heard before Mm. So I was lucky with that because I was traveling in Lapland working on a completely different story, which is also related to climate change. I made a big um, documentary about how climate change is affecting traditional Sami livelihoods, i.e. reindeer herding. And um, as we were filming that with my cameraman, we were traveling quite a bit in Lapland and just one day we just bumped into my cameraman's friend who was this man. <laughs> <laughs> Lapland is a small place. You always bump into friends. <laughs> so, yeah, and I said, what are you doing? You're there in this totally remote location, the nearest, um, the, 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 the children, the four daughters, they, they go to school 30 kilometers away. So that's like, what, 22 miles? is the nearest school. The nearest neighbor is like four miles away. The nearest supermarket is like 
100 kilometers. <laughs> so it's uh, in, in a way, you know, the, the environment where they live in. But of course, it's totally their choice. Is you know, it's so remote, so you're so far away from the supermarket that you're kind of inclined to do these things anyway. Wow. Of course, there is a shop a bit closer, but the nearest proper supermarket is 100 kilometers away. So uh, another core sort of like media question here. What kind of advice would you give to a, a company who is trying to pitch a story to you? Well, the same that I... Yeah, that, what, what I just told you about my radio was that he needs the top line, one sentence. So try to grab people's attention because we, we're always short of time. And everybody, you know, everybody, we, we just, our, our attention span is so limited these days. So if you send off a press release, if you haven't caught people's attention with your first line, then... I think you lost it. So just get straight to the point and don't try to just be very simple. Don't try to be very clever and don't try to use puns or don't, don't try to like, uh, I don't, I don't have a mistake that I see quite a lot is that people just give too many figures too too many bits of statistics and they want to impress you with all those figures, but you know, it, it just, it just, a figure without context means nothing. So there's this there's this balance though between like not making it sound like clickbait mm-hmm. and 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 still keeping it simple but not boring. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you find that um, that balance? Well, you mean when I when I see something when when people email me a press release or or. Maybe both. Like I know that you have to also go to your mm-hmm. your yeah, bosses yeah. and and not make it sound like five big things that Finland is going to do in the next year, you know. You don't want it to be like that. So I guess the big question is is more like how do we all communicate a little bit clearer um so that the message yeah. gets there and people get interested? What kinds of things should we be thinking about? Well, it's, I, I, I know what you're getting at, and it's, it's, it's tough. I think you do it so naturally because you're yeah. doing it every day, right? Yeah. And we're trying to figure out, well, how do I get Erica to pay attention to what it is that I'm doing? So I think the problem is that people are so close to their own stories. They know mm. it inside out. You know every little detail. And you want to communicate all that to the journalist, but that's, that's not good because, um, the, the journalist would be completely lost, you know, if you, um, so you have to select your, your key message and you have to make it very simple. And somehow you have to, I think, add a human element to it. Just don't try to make it technical or very kind of. We are not a specialist audience, so you're not talking to your 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 peers or your you know fellow industry specialists. Just um, think about us as your grandma or your you know long lost friend in somewhere in the Caribbean, you know who who needs to be kind of updated about what you're doing, but. Um, yeah, it's very important to find that that little human connection, you know, to to be a winner. Like <sighs> for example, have you ever covered something that was technical? Yeah. But then what was the what was the human element that you found in that uh, technical thing, for yeah. example? Yeah. Let, let me give you an example. Um um this um friend of mine, the mayor of the lovely town of Kurikka in the middle of nowhere in Finland, once said, hey, these geologists, you know, already my alarm bells ringing, geologists, found an aquifer. More alarm bells ringing. What? Aquifer in Kurikka. So basically they found this, um, a huge amount of freshwater reserves in the forest. So it's groundwater 
in the forest and it's perfectly clean. You don't need to process it. You can basically put it in people's taps and, you know. Oh, yeah, the good stuff. 150,000 people in the area have their water sorted. So, of course, the local water companies, they want to put their hands on this water and and put it into people's taps. But the local farmers are a bit worried because they use their, it's, it's a farming area. So there's a lot of small farms, and, you know, all sorts of different farms, chicken farms and grain farms. So they all use their groundwater, you know, for their farming purposes. And they are thinking that, oh, if the water company comes and uh, starts, you know, exploit, you know, taking the water out, then it will mess with my little stream in my field. So the um, so the uh, water company and the geological Finnish Geological Survey, they teamed up with um, a British their British counterparts. So basically, the British Geological Survey to create an app for the farmers, where they can see the groundwater levels in real time. Like, and then if they see that something is going wrong, they can just tap a little message to the, to the Finnish geological survey that, Hey, I'm worried about my water level going down. Can you help? So I thought, you know, it started off like an amazingly complicated, very technical story. But then when you do a bit of research and get to this level, and then of course you find the local grain farmer or the chicken farmer who just stand in front of your camera and they say, hey, I have 20,000 chickens. They need a lot of water. That's it. You crack the story because everybody understands their worries. They are small farmers. It's their livelihood. So if they are messing with their waters, the 20,000 chickens haven't got anything to drink. So if you see that connection and if you, you can immediately identify with that person, and that's it. Your complicated aquifer story is sorted because you put that human element in the center of it. And then you, of course, you give all the little extra details later on in the story. But you start off with the two local farmers, the grain farmer and the chicken farmer, both saying, you know, I'm worried, but I have this app and it helps. I, I also want to ask you about now going back to to how we can do a better job working with with journalists mm-hmm. what is your advice for us as PR people as media media people who are trying to talk to journalists what's your mm-hmm. advice for for people like us to better communicate with you well I think less is more to start with um, don't bombard journalists every day with um, with uh, press releases and phone calls and follow-up calls, you try to get their attention once, and then they will. You know, if if the story is good, at the end of the day, you know, you you can't sell crap. <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, you you have to have a good story. If you haven't got a good story, um, you know, you will feel it. You know that it's not good enough. You know, How do it, I know it's a good story, though? I guess it's because it has those human elements, like we spoke about, or it has, you know, some sort of originality in it. But you know, how do we how do we get that that journalistic brain? Oh, yeah. Do we need to spend a day as a journalist? I think maybe everybody needs to spend a day as a journalist and see what it's like. Yeah. Yeah, or, or you know, um, the, the opposite is probably also true. Maybe if you could get a journalist to stay with your company for a day. I don't know. But who has the time to do that? But I don't know. It, it's just so difficult to explain how. Uh, what, how. I mean, it, you know, op- open, open your favorite um, media website. Look at the headlines and you will immediately know what stories you would read so you and then and then in a way that's what we're competing with Hmm? yeah i mean it it sounds like that's what we're competing with 
but then you you try to visualize your own story would it would it would would an editor want to put it on the front page of your favorite favorite website and if not you know why not um probably because it's not interesting enough and then think about some other element of the story maybe try to tell the story to your your child if you have like a 12 year old at home um you know at the breakfast table you say hey today we're doing this in my company and if and if the child just you know doesn't even look at you <laughs> then you you know you have a problem that's a good test i like that test the 12 year old test the mm. erica 12 year old test you know me and my husband are both journalists and um we always talk about stories you know when there are children were little hmm. i mean i can't talk about anything else you know i just <laughs> you know i always talk about the stories and i know that you know, if a child is just not even batting an eyelid. Yeah, yeah, yeah then it's, it's not going to go well. That You know what? I'm going to I'm gonna prescribe the 12-year-old test for, for everybody. Oh, it could so, be younger even, you know, eight-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the younger, the better. They, they or, or maybe they, grandma, too. Yeah, yeah. An 80-year-old and an eight-year-old. There you go. If you test it with an 80-year-old and an 8-year-old, then we yeah. then and it, and it and it goes well, then definitely that's it. Now, have you heard about polar bear pitching? I have heard of polar mm. bear pitching. I talk about it all the time with my with my friends here in the states and it's they're always like it's great. You could talk as long as you want as long as you stay in the hole in the ice. <laughs> Is that the best? That's like the best pitching contest ever. Yeah, maybe that's what you should be doing with your companies. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you. So basically, you know, it is interesting. One of the one of the interesting things that I've actually been talking to people about is that the way you pitch to an investor mm. is is quite a bit different than the way that you pitch to a journalist. Mm. You know, journalists want to hear um, different kinds of things than they want to hear the story, the emotion, the humanity, the mm. the differences that are out there. And the investor wants to be convinced that it's going to make money. Mm. And those are two completely different kinds of pitches. And uh, I'm always hoping that that people sort of like start to have, maybe we need to now have a polar bear pitching contest that is, we have a bunch of journalists instead of investors in the in yeah, the in the stands, and then yeah. the yeah. journalists the journalists can pick and choose the the prizes that they write about you in their publication. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a thought. Or they or they pitch their article to they pitch they pitch their story to their to their editor, who then mm. who then is the final. Besides, yeah, maybe yeah, you have yeah, to pitch yeah. to editors. Yeah. Can you imagine if we had people pitch to editors? Because then they would put, we need to put people in your shoes, mm. having to pitch to your editor all the time. Mm. Yeah. Can so you imagine if we had to do that? That you know, because when you're at the BBC, you're typically involved in an editorial meeting, so you know our skills are honed because. Every day. Well, can you so, tell a little bit about an editorial meeting and what's that like? Yeah, right. So um, it's it's pretty much the same. Doesn't matter if you're on radio or TV, but um, like when you're on a daily news program, like eight o'clock in the morning, you would sit down with your colleagues and say, "Okay, we're gonna go on air at five o'clock in the afternoon. What shall we put into the program?" So some some um items are pretty obvious because you know you look at the main international news of the day and we kind of have to cover those in some shape or form so you discuss you know what angles we are going to cover and how so who are we trying to find um but then some are like most editors would like their team to come up with something new something original 
something like that nobody else has thought about today. So we are not repeating the agenda. That there's a, a little bit of competition within the BBC as well, you know, but among the main news programs, like who covers, you know, what story the best, you know, who has the best guest. But of course, but of course, we we we're sharing everything. But there's like it's like a matter of pride for each you know program team to come up with the best angle or the, the best guest. So um, I always. So my little secret is uh, my languages, really, because I I look at, you know, the Hungarian news. I look at some Russian news. I look at some Finnish news. You know, I I so I always find something that's not covered by the mainstream, you know, British or international media. Mm. Something like, for instance, an ice road has just opened between two Estonian, you know, between the mainland and an Estonian island. Wow, ice road. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's well, find somebody who's driving on it. I I found it really really humorous too when you were telling me the other day that um, bike riding, winter bike riding in Finland mm-hmm. was so interesting because we have to remember, I think that a lot of the things that we think are totally normal in Finland mm. are completely not normal elsewhere. Mm. Yeah. Um, so here in Oulu, where I am right now, most people ride a bike um, because it's it's a city. You know, the size of the city is perfect for for riding a bike. You can get pretty much anywhere in twenty twenty five minutes on your bike. So the city is not too big, and the system, the network of bike paths is fantastically well developed. So we have about 900 kilometers of bicycle paths. That's a lot. They are maintained, you know, for 200,000 people. So that's fantastic. And um, they are maintained very, very well, even in the winter. So they are cleaned first. So the roads, the cars have to wait until the bike paths are clear of snow. So therefore, because maintenance is so good and it's so easy to get everywhere, people cycle in the winter as well. And here, it's just perfectly normal. People don't think it's a story, but for anybody else outside, um, you know, Norway, Sweden, and Iceland, it is a story. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I, I did that story a few months ago, actually last winter, yeah. And you've done a couple of, of uh, <clears throat> programs that have had lots, like people all over the world, like millions of people have seen your stories, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Yeah, like this one that I told you about, the um, sustainable family in the Arctic, that was watched by more than 6 million only on Facebook. So it had... Wow. Um, so I made a you know social media version that was put on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And I, I can't remember what the figures are for Instagram and Twitter, but Facebook alone had 6 million. I think altogether with the website views and um, Twitter and Instagram, it had about 10 million. Which that is, is amazing fantastic. if you think about it and the comments, you know, on Facebook, of course, um, on mm-hmm. social media, you can, you can put your comments down and you look at them and Oh, it's so rewarding you know, to see that 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 people are affected by it and they want to you know to either they just say oh this is amazing that they are doing this this family and then they might criticize some elements of it but you are making a change you are helping to make the world a better place and you know what more do you want as a journalist so if you have that feeling of, wow, you know, I've done this and it is influencing people's minds and it's it's making people like make little changes in their lives that, you know, might help to make the world a better place. That's 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 such a wonderful thing. And um, it's very, very rewarding. That's great. So so Erica, what are you covering now that interests you? What is your what is your beat kind of like um, pointing you towards? What are you excited about 
um, covering these days? Well, I think climate change is going to come back now. Um, hopefully, the worst of coronavirus is behind us. And I think climate change will once again dominate our news agenda in the next um, few years, I think. So um, I'm trying to find um, new angles on the climate change story that would be of interest to, to a lot of people. Uh, there's quite a lot here in the north of Finland still that um, lots of stories that I'd, I'd love to to tell. Um, you know, Finnish are you planning are... on traveling around Finland further, or are you going to focus yeah. more? I'm always planning. <laughs> I'm all, I always want to travel. I'm always on the move. I love traveling. So tell me if um, if people want to reach out to you. Um, and ask you more questions or potentially even pitch a story? Um, do yeah. you have like social media or way, yeah, best yeah, ways yeah. to do that? What What are the best ways to get a hold of you? Well, let me see. Because um, we don't want them bombarding you now. I'm going to make sure that everybody who listens to this, mm -hmm. that they that they only pitch good stories to you. I think I think if you put my name into a Google search engine, uh -huh. if you put my name on Google, Erika Benke, Erika with a K, and Benke, B-E-N-K-E, -E, um, then I think my Twitter and my Facebook will definitely come up. Yeah. So Great. It's so not difficult to find Facebook me. and Twitter. But of course, you've got millions of views. So, you know, this is a... People, this is a very popular person, so it better be good when you reach out. I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so, you know, I'm very, I'm basically very shy. You know, I was, I was raised to be a shy little girl, and I don't think I'm. I don't know. This whole idea of me being popular or well known is is very. You know, when I first came to Oulu a year ago, the local papers reached out to me. They wanted to do interviews with me. But how yeah. how come this BBC woman has moved to Oulu? <laughs> like, you know, in my is life uh, at this point, it was the most obvious thing to do. It's just everything. You know, when you feel like pieces of a jigsaw come together. Yeah, and yeah. You just have to do it. I had that feeling, and of course, I'm here in Oulu. That's that's just normal. And they were like, oh, "No, no, that's a story." And <laughs> yeah, we want to do an interview for the local papers. I'm like, okay, why not? All right. So, I mean, that's great. I'm, I totally know what you mean. It's it's um, it's always wonderful. And you know, like I said, for me too, Finland has been so welcoming that mm. that it's. And and there's so many amazing stories that that you sort of it's easy to fall in love with it. So, you know, my yeah, time here, yeah. my 22 years has been has been amazing. I guess my last question for you is is simply, um, do you have any any closing advice for everybody about about media, about um, about oh. reaching out to journalists, to about any of the things that um, you would want to reiterate or remind people about um about this kind of mm. this kind of business and this kind of work well i guess the the most common mistake that i see you know when people send me press releases is that they 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 don't speak clearly so they use some sort of marketing or business so management slang like if if I see something like oh, I don't know, like there's a new ecosystem with the new operational model in the top centers, that, that it's 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 amazingly common that they start off something like they, with these big words that don't actually mean anything. Mm -hmm. so don't don't do that. That's that's my biggest advice. So just be simple and clear, and don't use like these don't use industry or management slang to introduce your topic with try to get straight to the point with a human example with, with a human who who you can identify with, with a human with feelings with um you know emotions with 
somebody kind of lovable or knowledgeable or somebody you would like to have a pint of beer with in your local pub and just to have a chat with about what exactly he's trying, what, what exactly his story is or her story is. I think that that's fantastic advice. And, and, you know, we try to tell people regularly that, you know, talking to journalists is not marketing. Mm. And, <laughs> no, no, and no. I think that that's the, that's the key, at least no, to no. The getting into this kind of medium. No, 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 it's not. It's not. It's all about stories. It's all about storytelling and it's not about money, <laughs> you know, not at all. It's about capturing somebody's imaginations with your story and your story has to be good. And um, to test it, talk to your child <laughs> or talk to your grandma. Erica, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, we really appreciate this. Me this time and 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 wow i learned a lot um hope everybody wow. in our audience also gets something out of well, it too. that's very kind of you thank you for having me i really enjoy talking to you this has been the get known podcast the get known podcast is produced by san francisco agency located in beautiful but sun shining all day in the summer helsinki finland to hear more interviews with journalists and pr professionals please subscribe to the Get Known Podcast feed. You can share your comments and questions directly to me by connecting with me on LinkedIn. That is Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-E-E. Yeah, there's a lot of them out there, but you'll find me. Or you can send an email to steve at getknown.fm. Hope to talk to you soon.